we also live heavenly minded. And so we balance those two, right? So right now, I want you to forget about earth mode. And I want you to switch your brain over to eternal mode. The day that you get to stand before a crea- your creator and your God and you look at him face to face. And he looks at you and he says, well done. No matter the difficulties and the challenges that you face, no matter how hard your life has been, no matter the, the, the ups and the downs that you may have had, no matter the loved ones that you have loved and lost, you get to stand before God and you say, God, it doesn't matter anymore because I'm going to spend eternity in heaven with you. And so I wanted just to encourage you this morning with this. Today, I'm going to be speaking to you about being whole, about being restored. And I want you to think heavenly minded because I want you to hear the truth. So often we listen to the lie of the devil rather than we listen to the truth of God. And the truth of God is this, that you absolutely can be whole. God designed you to be whole. It's the entire message of the gospel that you can be completely whole. And it doesn't matter what you come from in your life. It doesn't matter how much of a sinner you think you were. When you cross over into the blood of Jesus Christ and you say, God, I want to have a relationship with you. I choose to come through your son, Jesus Christ. He forgave it all and began to process you as a Christian. He began to restore you. And so what didn't show this morning, and I need to bring you guys up to speed on, is was part of the um, sermon intro and the announcement video. But there is a an architect by the name of Frank Lloyd Wright. Maybe you've heard of him. He, he is one of the most renowned architects in our entire country. He has done phenomenal work. He called the Westcott House one of his signature works. Now, if you look at it, it's not, and it's hard to see there. You would have seen a better picture before. It doesn't look all that impressive. It doesn't. But it was his favorite. It was what he envisioned he, from the ground up and saw it and was intricately involved in every part of the planning process. See, I know maybe you've done some remodeling at your house. I, I, know, I know I certainly have. And so when you, when you start the process, you have this picture in your mind of how you think it should look. So then you start getting to work and you start maybe drawing out some drawings and taking some pictures and scrapbooking some stuff. And if you're a girl or a lady, you pin it. No guy will admit that they have a Pinterest if they do, but Pastor Matt does. And <laughs> so, so you start to pin all of these things to your board and you start to save all these files because you want it to look exactly what, like what's in your head. Well, here's the thing. You are sitting here this morning as a restoration project in God's hands. And so he has called you. He's redeemed you. He has saved you. If you've entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, he's saved you. If you haven't, see me after church today. We'll make sure that we take care of that this morning. But if you have done that, you're a restoration process in God's hands. And so he's got this picture of you, and he's snapshotting you. And then he sees what you could be. And so he looks at how you are and what you could be. And he says, okay, let's get to work because we can do this together. We can get you to where you want to go. But there seems to be roadblocks that come up in the way of that process of restoration. But, and so we realize that if we've ever done any, that you do run into certain obstacles as you're, as you're uh, working on a room or a house, you run into budget obstacles, just energy obstacles, right? You're just tired and worn out and frustrated. And so, and that's what began to happen to this Westcott house. And so for years and years, it lay almost in ruins, very dilapidated, very worn down. And so they came back and they did a restoration project on the Westcott house. And so what they did was they took it all the way down to its fundamental bones. It's, it's the studs and the, uh, the elements of the house and just began to re envision the whole house and put it back together exactly the way that Frank Lloyd Wright first intended it. See, God looks at that, 
that process of restoration. And he sees in you the, the best possible you. Now, here's the thing. I'm not a motivational speaker. This is not a motivational speech. It is an, I, I do fully intend to encourage you today. All right? But I'm gonna, I'm not gonna sh- I don't sugarcoat things. I call them just like they are. I call it the good, bad, and the ugly. It's my, I do it to my kids as well. Like a suck it up buttercup mentality. Right? So the problem in when, when you first get saved is you're a long, long, long way from where God intends you to be. And that's just the fact of the matter. That's the bad news, okay? That's the problem. The good news is this. The joy and the, and the fantastic part of the relationship with God is the joy is in, in the journey. The joy is in the process. The joy is in what you learn along the way through your failures, through your mistakes, through the ups and downs of life, through the things that happen that you have no control over. All of those things are part of your restoration process. And God still sees at the end the best possible you because i promise you this when you stand before god creator god he is going to make you exactly how you should have been made in the first place where sin never a part of the equation but because sin is it tears us and pulls us and messes us up and so we get marred and scarred and we don't often realize how emotionally scarred and messed up we are until we get to stand before god and we say god this is me and god says no 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 this this is you and, you rest- and you're completely restored. So keep that. That's why I wanted you to switch over to eternal mindset. Because you won't be completely restored until you get to heaven. You won't be completely done and redeemed and made new until you get to heaven. Somewhere in between is where we're, we're going to be talking about today. See, the, the thing about the thing that hangs on the balance is Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. And what does it say? It says, trust in the Lord with your whole heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge God, and he will make your path straight. That, that for me, has been the, sing, the single most important verse in my life. Now, there's so many good verses in the Bible. How do you pick a favorite? Well, I pick a favorite for the one that seems to pop up in my spirit over and over and over again. Because I love this verse. Don't lean, don't depend on what you can figure out and understand. In all your ways, just acknowledge him, and he'll make the path straight before you. He'll take you from where you are to where he wants you to be, and that's his promise to you. How amazing of a promise is that? That you don't have to trust in what you can figure out. You don't have to trust in everything that you know. You trust in the hands of a creator who knows all things and knows how to get you from point A to point B to point C to point D to point heaven. So, it's not a surprise to God. That's why in Matthew chapter eleven twenty eight through 30, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's why he says that. So the problem is this. We're so used to seeing broken replications of life. Let me say it again. We're so used to seeing broken replications of life that we don't really know what being whole even really is supposed to look like. We've never seen something so whole and so well because we don't oftentimes spend time with the only one that is whole. See, everyone's broken at some point. So few, so precious few know what it means to be whole. So I want to give you a little bit of backstory on me. I'm going to kind of pull the curtain back a little bit and and share a little bit of my testimony with you really fast. Um, my, I grew up in a Christian home. 
my dad, my mom, they took me to church. I was born on the church pew, almost literally. You know, so, and it was, it was one of those, it wasn't padded, it was one of those hard, cold, wooden pews that you fell asleep and you slobber all over it, and then you wake up and smear across your face, and then your hair is all messed up, and then your mom's like nudging you, get up, it's altar time. So that's the kind of church that I grew up in. God had a plan for my life, has a plan for my life. Devil has a trap set. And it's different for everybody. Devil has a trap. So God has a plan for your life, and so does the devil. He's got a plan, and this is what his plan is, to destroy whatever it is that God is trying to build up. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. All he can do is lie. And so that you know, if you learn to discern between the two voices, God is always trying to build you up. The other one's always trying to tear you down. You wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, you are so not. Who, who you are supposed to be. And you get, begin to look in the mirror and you begin to listen to that voice. Oh, I'm overweight. I'm not healthy. I've been doing it for CrossFit for three years and this is all I get? Really? So, though, the, my, if for me in my life, here's how it worked out. As I, as I was finishing up high school, we transitioned churches and we found ourselves in the church and the youth pastor that was there became... Um, good friends with me. He really took an interest in me, which I liked because, you know, everybody likes to be paid attention to. Only he had different plans than what I realized. I was really young, really naive, and I really didn't see it coming at all. I just thought, he wants to hang out. He wants to have fun. He, he, he really likes me. Oh, he really likes me. He really liked me. And you know what I'm saying? He liked me too much. And it messed, and it messed with my head. And so I'll spare you the nitty-gritty details, but the devil had a trap set for me. And so for years afterwards, I lived in victim mentality. It was my fault. What did I do wrong? How did I? If this must be about me. It wasn't about me. The devil has a trap set. He wants to get into that head of yours and tell you what you are not. And that's what he's masterfully good at. He can, he can sneak in and say, you're lazy. You're never going to amount to anything. You will not be anything even remotely that God can use. That's a lie. And you have to learn to discern between those two voices and stand up and say, no, I'm a child of God. I've been forgiven. I've been called by name. I've been created with a purpose. I am Jeremiah 29, 11, And I know that God has a plan for my life. I know he has a plan to prosper me and not to harm me to give me a hope in the future that's the word of god anything other is a lie so have you listened to the lie of the enemy i think sometimes we do i think sometimes we listen to it for so long that we say ah i'm 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 well enough i'm i'm good i'm good enough i'm I'm exactly where i want to be but jesus did not create you to be well enough he didn't create you to get to a stopping point and say, I'm going here and you're not, I'm not going any further. He created you to move on and press on and become exactly who he wanted you to be. To use all the influences that you have in your life to make a difference for the kingdom of God. To make a difference for eternity. So it doesn't matter what your profession is. It doesn't matter what your career is. You have a chance to speak into somebody's life. And if you settle for well enough, you're only focused on you. And the, the sneaky thing about how all that works is 
You're covering up this gaping hole in your life. That God hasn't finished with you yet, but you're putting a cover over it and saying, no, I'm good. So when God really starts to check your spirit and check your heart, you're going to cover it right back and say, no, no, I'm good. I'm going to sit, I'm going to sit here at altar time. I'm not going to let the voice of God speak to me this morning. I'm not going to let him peel back the layers to see what's deep down inside because I'm well enough. Leave well enough alone, God. Leave it alone. I'm happy. But God doesn't want to leave you well enough alone. He wants to peel back the layers. He wants you to go through that painful process of restoration because he sees how you could be. But it's so intimidating and it's so scary, isn't it? It is. So I, the, my, in my story, this is what happened. I, I was at about almost at college age, and so I finished out my my college my high school days, and then I uh, went to college. And, and I always knew God had a plan for my life. I was called by the age of nine. I was, I was filled with the Holy Spirit when I was, I got saved when I was eight. I got filled with the Holy Spirit when I was nine. And so I knew when all those pictures of the missionaries would come on the screen and God would stir my heart and I'd be crying at the altar. Some of you guys just seem to cry at the altar. Side note. It is. Men, men don't cry, right? They ought to. Because that's something about that painful process, when God begins to peel the ears back, I can't help but cry. God, you're breaking me down, and it's a painful process, and I don't like it. But it's so awesome at the same time. And so I spent two years going doing my own thing and trying to figure out God's plan on my own. And then so I went to a college up in Maryland, and I did some, um, some studies in pre, pre-medicine, biology, and ugh, it was horrible. Like all the things I, I liked in, in school, science and chemistry and all those things, I was doing them in college and hating, hating life. I mean, I was so miserable. I would get up at 6 o'clock in the morning to make it to campus by 6.30 because if I didn't make it to campus by 6.30, I really wouldn't get a parking spot. And then I'd be late for my 8 o'clock class. And so I would often be at class from 8 in the morning and, and then stay all day long and get home at 10 o'clock at night and then turn around, do a little bit of labs, go to work, do it all over again the next day. I was so miserable. And I was still going to church. And everything was good. That's what, that's what I was trying to put out there. I, I'm well enough, God. See, I'm trying to do what you want me to do, but it wasn't what God wanted me to do. And so at some point in, in, my, in that two years, I had one of those aha moments. I'm like, maybe this, isn't, maybe this actually isn't what God wanted for my life. And so I thought, well, what do you what do you want? God is so so funny. He really is. Because in that process he took in that same church that he had taken to taken me to where I had to endure the abuse that I had to endure, he opened up a door for me to go to Bible college. Which is where I met my wife. Which is where at the end, and I didn't even meet her until the end of my time at college. And this is really important for you to understand. And this is the mentality that you have to shift in your brain today, this morning. It will help you. It will serve you if you'll change it today. I went to college with one mindset and one mindset alone. I said, God, I don't want anything to do with girls because I was hurt. I was really, really hurting. God, I want to go to Bible college. And all I want is to know what you have for my life. I want to know what you want from me because I don't know anymore. And so I went into college hurt, really hurt. God, 
knows how to restore things. But my mindset was simple. I want to know, God, what you want me to do. So I worked myself to the bone. I held an almost full-time job, 35, 40 hours a week, went to school full-time. And in that process, God just began to chisel away at me. And that's how the process of restoration is. It doesn't happen overnight. It just doesn't. I wish it did. I was boom, you're exactly who you need to be. It doesn't work that way. And in the time, as I was winding up in college, you know, I, I'm like, God, what, what's next? And so I hung around for another semester after I had already graduated. And we, we did a play together in, in high school, in, at the end, not high school. I was done high school by then. But I did a, we did a play in college and met her. And then God just started to drop things into place. See, I, my purpose was to find out what God wanted for me. When I met her, I knew. I think I, I told her I loved her on the first date. All right? So that's the, that's the thing. When you're fully walking in God's plan, it might not always feel like it, but he allows you to have those aha moments. See, God holds, doesn't reveal everything to you at once. He kind of holds some things back. And then when you're at that point where he's ready to reveal it, poof, this is the next step for you. And the thing is, that's how God works. It just becomes very clear in those moments. So I want to say something right now that I want you to remember. In Kids Church, we call it the flashpoint. It's one thing, one point that I want you to remember. If you remember nothing else that I say today, just like I tell the kids every week, if you remember nothing else, remember this point. Now, I'm not going to have you do actions to it. But, right? You can be whole. Say it with me. You can be whole. It's the message of the gospel. So I want you to go to Luke chapter 8, verse 43 through 48. Luke chapter 8, verse 43. Now, before I read it, let me tell you this. You're going you're gonna to see this again later on today. But I want, you, I want you to start here because I want you to see some context here. How, how the, different people, the different authors of the Bible, Luke, Matthew, Mark, John, they all wrote these accounts and, and presented their recollection of, of the events in the life of Jesus Christ. This is what Luke writes about the woman with the issue of blood beginning in verse 43. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. In other words, they're saying, Really, Jesus? For, for real? Like, you see who's around you. How are we supposed to know who touched you? It's crazy around here. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me. I know that power has gone out from me. And then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. There's a lot that can be said. This, isn't, this message is not going to be on her faith, all incredible though it was. This is a story of what Jesus saw. 
How could Jesus see this woman in the crowd? She was on her hands and knees, kneeling her way through throngs of crowds. Everywhere that Jesus went, he got a little bit of a reputation because, you know, he could heal people and raise them from the dead and restore blinded eyes. I mean, that's a cool guy with some awesome powers. And here's this woman who can barely stand because she's been bleeding for 12 years and no one could heal her. And finally, she crawled through the city, dusty and dirty, made her way to Jesus, touched the bottom of his clothes. And Jesus said, power went out from me. The power wasn't in his garment. Power was in his heart because this is what Jesus saw. He saw her faith first. He saw her desperation first. He saw her holding nothing back and laying it all on the line. He saw her not giving up and not laying down to die. He saw her fighting for her life. He saw her standing against all the odds. He saw her defying all the advice of the doctors. He saw her desperately seeking to be whole. Most importantly, he saw her healed. Before she was healed, he saw her that way. So that when she reached out, all it was was just a moment of her faith connecting with what God already saw. He saw her well and standing, not bleeding and suffering and agony and pain. He saw her whole. See, restoration, it requires us to get up and rise. It requires us to do something about it. You see, Malachi 4.2 says the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. That's an amazing picture of what God is and what he can do for you. He stands there ready to heal you, ready to restore you. And so I'm going to take you guys right now on a little bit of a rewind to Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. Now, this is Mark's recollection of the same event. It's kind of long, but bear with me. When Jesus had again crossed over by, by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, Jesus didn't always get along with synagogue leaders, by the way. Then one of the synagogue leaders came, uh, named Jairus, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed against him. And a woman was there. Pause. It's the same woman. They remembered the story a little bit differently. Now, here's the, here's the, here's the point. Jairus comes and he says, My daughter is sick to the point of death. And no, if it was me, I was like... Well, let's go. And I'm making my way as fast as I can get there to this little girl before she dies. Jesus didn't do that. You see, all the while, this woman, while he's telling, while all of this, Mark is telling all the story, all the meanwhile, this woman is pressing her way through the crowd, trying to push people aside so that she can get to Jesus while he's telling the story. And then the story stops. Doesn't it? And they remember, oh, in the right before Jesus did what he was about to do, which we'll read in just a second. Here comes this woman who had so much desperation to not stay the way that she was, to be healed, because this woman could see herself being whole as well. She had that unction to get up and do something about it, and she pressed her way, and the story stopped, timed out, paused. See, this is the same story. 
Jesus was not alarmed about the girl's condition that he couldn't see the big picture. He understood exactly what was going on and what needed to be done in the moment. So while Jesus was still speaking, continuing in verse 35, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Maybe they didn't know who Jesus was, right? She's dead. Leave him alone. Man, just give up. Give up. It's a lie. You see that? See how sneaky the devil is? Sometimes he uses people to speak to you and tell you to do what God does not want you to do. Just stop. Stop it. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid. Just believe He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion. With people crying and wailing loudly, and I kind of laughed when I read this. He went in and said to them, what's all this commotion and wailing about? All right, there's humor in the Bible, okay? So I'm like, for real, Jesus, you ask some stupid questions. What do you think they're crying about? She's dead. The child is not dead, he said, but asleep. And they laughed at him. Oh, I put it in blue so you can see it. They laughed at Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, you're so dumb. She's, she's dead. You're a smart guy and all, but apparently not that smart because you can't tell when a girl's dead, like dead, dead. And they laughed and laughed and laughed. He took her by the hand. I love this part. And he said to her, Talithakum. Get up, dead girl. Little dead girl. Rise! See, Jesus, I don't think he was all that the movies intended him. I think he was yelling it. Little girl, rise! And all... The demons of hell shook because when God speaks, let me say it again. When the word of God speaks, he says, rise and it rises to life because there's no power. Just like we sang this morning, there's no power, no demon that can stand against the presence of an almighty God. And so when creator God is standing there in your midst and he's saying, rise, rise, you got to rise. You got no choice because God is God. He is who he is. His word goes. It's final. And so this girl had no choice but to rise up from the dead. And he did it when he did it with Lazarus. If you remember the story of Lazarus, who was laying there for days, stinking in his death. And Mary and Martha were distraught. And he said, don't worry about it. I got this one. And he walked into the grave. He looked at him and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus got up like nothing was going on. We forget so many times about the awesome power of our creator, God. That when he says to you, get up out of your circumstance, rise. You need to rise. But I'm well enough, God. I'm good. Please don't stir me from this. I'm comfortable with who I am. I don't want to be any more than what I am right now. It's too hard, God. Jesus speaks to us at that moment, and he says, get up. Push past your circumstances. Rise up past it. See, what is is so important that you have a hard time letting go of, I don't know. 
For me, for me, what scared me the most was that I thought I would always be living under the hurt and the pain that I was caused, under the abuse and the mentality of that. Jesus said, no, I've got a plan for you. You're going to go and you're going to end up in this city called Belton and you're going to preach to little kids and you're going to tell them that there's nothing impossible with God because God has a plan for you. And God's not done with me yet. To be whole, you must learn that you can hold nothing back from God. No sin, no desire, no talent, no fear, no inhibition, no pain, no injury, no success, no tear. God cannot restore what you hold back from him. Let me say that again. If you are holding it back from God and saying, God, I'm only going to give you this much, God won't restore you to the fullest. He can't because God in his sovereignness only goes so far. He's not going to force himself on you. But the woman with the issue of blood didn't care about that. She had nothing left to lose. And so if she didn't get to Jesus, she knew she was going to die. And Jesus said, rise. Your faith has healed you. Your faith that got you out of your present circumstance, got you out of your house, got you out of your mindset where the doctors have told you that there's no hope and you're certainly going to die and all their wisdom couldn't save you. Her faith got her up out of her chair and into the street and pushed her way through the crowd, weak though she was. To be whole, we cannot be like the rich young ruler. Do you remember the rich young ruler? What a tragic story in the New Testament What a tragic story it is. Because here's this guy who had so much. He's like, I'm well enough. But God, oh God, Jesus, what what do I do to get eternal life? See, he knew he was lacking something, didn't he? He went to God and he said, what must I do to have eternal life? Because I think I have this hole and I don't know what to do with it. And Jesus said, I know exactly what your hole is. You want your stuff. And so it's different for everybody, isn't it? This was, this was this guy's thing. This was this young man's problem. It's your stuff. You're so wrapped up in it. If you just sell it all. What? All of it? But, but I, I got a lot of stuff. Like, it would, it would take me, like, years to sell all, all my stuff. Sell it all. Give it to the poor. God wasn't worried about his stuff. God didn't care. Jesus did not care one little iota about his things. He this guy cared about his things. And so what did he do? He, he looked at Jesus and he said, <laughs> I can't. Can't do it. Got to go. Turn around and walk away from God. Isn't that tragic? Man, it's so tragic. Because in that moment, we see ourselves, don't we? Let's be honest. Let's stop reading the Bible and pointing fingers at the, people, at the stories that we read in the Bible and say, oh, that was, that was just them. That, that doesn't have anything to do with me. <laughs> that was just a rich young ruler. You're the rich young ruler. You've walked to God, and you said, God, thanks for saving me. That was cool. I'm going to go to heaven now. 
awesome. Eternal mindset, guys. What are you going to offer God when you stand before him in heaven? Are you going to walk to him and you're just going to say, God, thanks for saving me. That's as far as I went. <laughs> all those things that you gave me, all those talents, all those abilities, all, those, all that potential that you stored down deep on the inside of me. Thanks for it, but I didn't do anything with it. Didn't need to. You saved me. Covered by grace, right? Grace. What a slap in the face of an almighty God, right? So you can't deceive yourselves by thinking that you're hiding anything from God. And it doesn't matter if you're four years old or 400 years old. God is still working on you. So you never get to be at a point, even though you may have studied your whole life, even though you may have grown up in church, even though you might have think you've gotten everything figured out, you can never be at a place where a creator God can't peel back another layer and say, no, 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 we're going we're gonna to work on this right now because you're like a piece of clay, a lump of clay on the potter's wheel. And so what is he doing? He's shaping and molding you. And so you get just exactly where he wants you. And then he tweaks it and modifies it. And then he knocks it all back down and he starts all over again. Restoration. Where are you in the process? I want you to stand this morning. Holy Spirit, this is, this is your word. This is the word that you put on my heart for Crossroads Church some weeks ago. And as, I, as I've been laboring over it over the last couple of weeks, I know today, sometimes I don't always know, but I know today that there are people in this room tonight that are testing you. They're calling out to you, God, and they're coming to you right now. Even, even as I'm praying this word, they're having the dialogue inside of their head saying, you know what? I feel the Holy Spirit is stirring on my heart, and, I, and I, I don't really know what to do. But Holy Spirit, I pray, God, that you are released in this room today. God, that we would just say, I'm not, I'm not well enough. I'm just not. You got more for me, God. And I want to know, I want to know what it is. Whatever I have to get rid of, whatever you have to peel back from my life in order for me to understand what it is that you call me to do. You see, some of you have been called to ministry that you're not doing. Some of you have been called to be a light in your workplace that you're not being. And I'm not here to point the finger at you. Far the opposite. I'm here to encourage you. You are in the process of restoration. And while God is restoring you, as he is restoring you and taking you through that process, other people are standing and taking notice of the change that's happening in your life. That does not mean that you're perfect by any stretch of the imagination, nor am I. A good, a good friend of mine said the other day how she likes the fact that her pastors are human and we totally are. But you know what? I am a human being who's sold out to the calling of God. And I'm a human being who says to God every single day, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. If I could just get out of my own way and let you just do you through me somehow, God will shape and God will move. Where are you in the process of your restoration? Only you can know. You and God. So perhaps this morning you have a dialogue with God that you have not had for some time because God's stirring something deep, 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 deep down inside of you. 
and you've been coasting for a while, but God says it's, it's time to kick it up a notch. It really is. And you are not in it alone. That is the most beautiful part of this message this morning. Because just like he said to Matthew, which I read earlier, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will just give, I'll just give you rest for a moment. Rest. That sounds really good, doesn't it? So as we worship this morning, my prayer leaders this morning, if you could come and make your way to the front. I chose this song this morning, and, and I don't have much say in the worship of Sunday morning, but I, I told Megan this morning, I said, <clears throat> I'm really feeling this song. And it says, I need you more. More than yesterday, I need you more. More than words can say, I need you more. As time goes by, I'll be by your side. Because I never want ever, ever, ever want to go back to my old life. What is there in my old life that's worth anything at all nothing I need you more so I want to invite you to come and I want to invite you to pour your heart out to God this morning I want you to make the prayer to God and say God take me off of high center shake me, rattle me, mold me shape me into who you want me to be See, sometimes we pray that prayer, but you better pray it carefully because God will begin to cause events in your life, circumstances and situations that will show, shake you and rattle you. And, and, and that's how God gets your attention. And sometimes he allows painful things to happen so that he can do like a megaphone thing into your life and say, I'm still here. If you'll just call on me, I will sustain you. That's his voice to you this morning. Go ahead, Megan, take it away. We worship you, God. This time is yours. More than yesterday, I need you more. Holy Spirit, move in this room. More than words can say, I need you more. Than before I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. More than the air I breathe, more than the song I sing, more than the next heartbeat, more than Cause I never want to go back to my old life. I need you more, more than yesterday. 
Father, we turn this day, this week, over to you. Whatever you have spoken to our hearts this morning, whatever you have stirred up inside of us, we know for sure that as soon as we walk out of here today that the, the enemy is going to do what he does, and he's going to try to sneak in and play with our minds and play with our circumstances and, and just wreak havoc on our lives. But I just want to pray a prayer of, of protection over this church this morning, over the ones that are here and the ones that are absent from us today. God, that you would surround them and protect them, God, because you have every single angel in heaven at your disposal, and I pray, God, that you discharge them right now to surround them, to protect them, and carry them through this week. And God, that we would turn to you, and that you would restore us, take us through that process of that we could see by looking to you a little bit more of who you want us to be, because we know, God, that you have a picture in your mind of how we ought to be and we so fall short of that so many times but your grace sustains us it covers us it carries us it takes us from the place that we were to the place that we are to the place that you want us to be and we need you more we don't need anything else we we have want we think we want a lot of other things but we need nothing else than you We want good jobs, we want new cars, we want air conditioning, but all we need is you. Help us remember that this week, God. Jesus. We're going to close service this way this morning. Just we're going to allow the whoever's ever praying at the altar to continue. Um, but I, I wanted to just uh, do a little announcement um, while we wrap up this morning.